Okay. You know, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gave his disciples one of their uh, most memorable lessons that they ever ever had from him. They, they, were, they were in a situation where they were working through some issues, and I'll talk about them a little bit later. And Jesus went and did something. He, he started washing their feet. As he washed their feet, he then said to them, do you understand what I've done? If I, your, your master, your, your leader, if I am your Lord and I have washed your feet, then ought you not to wash the feet of one another? Now, what he taught us there was that service, really, even though it's legitimate in many different ways and is encouraged, it definitely needs to be something that is modeled within the context of community. So when we, when we actually think about it, the example he gave was, I need you to know how to serve one another. That was, a big, that was something that was very important to Jesus. And so when we talk about service, it's not only something that we are invited to do because it's what Jesus modeled, it's something he also taught us to do, particularly as it relates to serving one another. And again, I think sometimes that in a church, it may appear that um, the needs are being met and there's more than enough people who are doing things and there's pastoral staff, but the truth is, Church is only as great as those who volunteer and serve within it. By, by the way, there's a constant churning that occurs as well. I mean, every three years, I mean, people are constantly moving in and out. So there's these continual new opportunities. But our conviction is what Jesus taught us is that the true blessing is in serving and also in serving one another. And on top of that, there's, there's kind of a unique context that occurs because it's in the context of serving we often find ourselves engaging in relationships that we would have never thought we've ever would have with people we probably wouldn't normally come into contact with. Typically, maybe, not by choice. And what happens is we end up forging out friendships that actually can become vehicles of God's grace at work in our lives. So our conviction as a church is that our greatest assets really is not our pastoral staff, it's the people that make up the church and their heart for Jesus, as is evidenced in the way in which they serve one another. And then secondly, we believe truly that one of the most healthiest ways to function as a follower of Jesus is to engage in community life so that we can build relationships that can have value to us when we come into situations where we really need to encourage one another and be encouraged. So keep all of that in mind because when we talk about re-engagement, we're talking about this idea of being open to using the things that God places into our lives uniquely. So I'm gonna go ahead and pray and then we'll get into this little teaching together. I hope that we would learn some things together. So, Lord, I want to, again, invite you into this moment. I know that there are other things that are going on in the day. We have other things planned today. But here in this moment, here in this time, when we've come into your house, what other other issues there may be that are flying around in our lives? And I suppose there's not a one of us that doesn't have something that we're not anxious about in some way. Uh, Perhaps, Lord, we came in heavy or afraid, but it, was a bit, it took a little courage even to get to your house. But we're here. We're here in a place where your name is loved. And I ask that we would get the full benefit out of this time, that, that our hearts would be stilled and, and we would bring into focus our, atten- our attention so that we can hear your voice. As, even as we look at your words, we could also hear your voice for our life. And uh, we need that. We really do. And so um, give us peace and give us openness. This is what I ask for all of us, including myself. In Jesus' name, amen, Lord. So the parable of talents was uh, one of the stories. Parable is a story. Jesus told stories, parables, some of which have, you know, 
made their way into our language. We, we many, I think everybody's heard of the uh, prodigal son or, you know, the idea of, of something lost being found and the Good Samaritans, another example. Well, those are stories that Jesus told. The terms themselves become very familiar to us. When we say someone's prodigal, they're, they're lost or wasteful. We say the Good Samaritan, someone does a good deed for someone. Uh, they, they've made their way. The talents, the parable of the talents is one of the stories Jesus told. It's what we've been looking at during this re-engage mini-series, we're in the second part of it. The parable of the talents is recorded in Matthew 25, and it's a story that Jesus told using this illustration of a talent. Now, we think of a talent today as being like when we say someone's gifted, they have a talent. We say someone has a unique capacity, you know, oh, wow, they're really talented. They have a gift, a talent for singing, you know, whatever we might say, you know, talent for art. But the word itself is actually connected to Jesus' story. And originally, when Jesus used the story as an example, a talent was not how we know it today as like this gift, this entrustment, this capacity people have. We all have something typically. But a talent in Jesus' day was a piece of, was a coin. It was, a, it was an amount of money. And the, the money was a lot of times, the value of it was met, of the metal was dependent on the quality of the metal and sometimes the size. But and when Jesus uses the illustration of a, of a story of a, about talents, then he's talking about money that was given by a man to his servants to manage on his behalf, talent being the sum of that money. In Jesus' day, one talent was an extensive amount of money. It could be as much as 10 to 15 years of a common day laborer's wage. So we're not talking, so we say, oh, it's just one talent. That was a lot of money. Five was an extensive amount of money. So when Jesus tells the story, he says, the kingdom of heaven, what shall I liken the kingdom of heaven unto? I'll liken unto a man who goes away and uh, goes to a far country and calls in his, his managers or those, his trusted servants, and he says to them, I want you to manage my affairs and this entrustment of funds while I'm away. He appears to have been a, a, an investor. He wants them to invest and take care of that money. He doesn't say how long he's away, but in Jesus' story, as he's talking to the people and telling the story, he's trying to use it as an illustration about how we're supposed to be when he, he's away. What do we do with our lives? And so he says that when the, this businessman, and again, when Jesus tells parables, unless he says this is specifically what this represents, he, he, it's, it's not really intended for us to plug in, oh, this is who this character represents, this is who this represents, oh, that's God. No, he, he uses a story, especially if he doesn't say specifically, this means this, he's using it to illustrate a larger principle. And oftentimes when he tells these stories, he's trying to get us to look at things in a different way that we would not normally look at if it was just like someone instructing us. But out of a story, we listen differently. So Jesus says this man went away, called in his servant, said, while I'm away, I need you to take care of these funds. You, I'm giving you five, five talents, big amount of money. You, I'm, I'm calling, I'm going to give you two, and you, I'm giving you one. He says he gave, Jesus says he gave each one of them according to his perception of their capacity and ability. So he goes away, he comes back, he calls them in for accounting. So what happened when I was away? How'd you do? The one with five says, you, 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 I think you'll be happy. I had the five that you gave me. Again, and I doubled it. The five is now 10. You did great work, he's told. Excellent. I'm really pleased with you. Enter into my joy and favor. I can entrust you with even more things. To the one who had been given two, how did you do? I, did, I, I doubled what I had. I, I didn't make 10, but I doubled what I had and turned it into four. 
excellent. The same, by the way, in Jesus' story, the same exact blessing that was given to the five is given to the one with two. No difference. Enter into my favor. I'm very pleased with you. But it was the one, the one who had been given one, that in Jesus' story garners all of our attention. And I put it in your handout as well because I thought it would be helpful for us to look at it. And I have it in two columns, one from a, a version that is a more traditional version, and then one from a slightly different version of Scripture, the message translation. And I want us to kind of look at the answer that he gives, this particular servant gives, for why he did not fully utilize what he was entrusted with, or at least utilize it in a way that was displeasing. Look what happens. Then the one who received the one talent came in and said, said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. I know you're a shrewd businessman. I understand that. I've watched you all these years. And I was, af I was afraid. And so what I did, because I, I didn't want to lose what you gave me, what I did was, and remember, he's, he's not making an excuse. He's giving an explanation. I was afraid. And I hid, I hid your talent, this, this money, in the ground. I knew it would be safe there, no one, and I wouldn't be lost. I took no risk with it at all. Didn't even put it in a bank. And now, here, I've got it all. Every cent, all, back. It's all yours. Look, I lost nothing while you were away. But his Lord answered, and he said to him, and again, this is, this is the language Jesus says of this angry businessman. You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You see, at least you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten for everyone who has more will be given and he will be he, he will have abundance but from him who does not have it will be taken away even what he has will be taken away and cast him out now look at the look at the way that the parallel passage describes this event watch with me listen for some of the words here i the word play caught me and it it let it lets us see it in a slightly different way but listen to what happens here look what it says the servant given one thousand so he's describing a talent as 1,000. Master, I know you have high standards and that you hate careless ways, that you demand the best and you make no allowances for error. I understand how you are. I was Look how he renders it. I was afraid that I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place, secured your money. Here, here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. And the master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. And look at this phrase. I underlined it when I first saw it. If you knew I was after the best, then why did you do less than the least? If you knew that I was after the best, then why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where I at least would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand... Give it to the one who risked the most. And then look at this phrase, the other one that got, catches our attention. And get rid of this play it safe who, who won't go out on a limb. Get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb and throw him out in utter, utter darkness. Now, Jesus' audience was just listening to that story. And wow, there's so much here for us. Again, what are the principles? What are the principles for us? I'll tell you one that stands right out. You know what? Number one, what matters most to, to the Lord is faithfulness. Faithfulness, look at this. Faithfulness is more important than giftedness. There's no way around it. 
In the eyes of Jesus, faithfulness holds preeminence to giftedness. Now, that is not how it is in our culture. We, and I include myself as part of it as we all are, we, we worship the gifted. We, we admire the gifted. Anybody who has been watching, anyway, we, we watch, the, watch the Super Bowl. The gifted athletes. Ah. The gifted entertainers. The gifted, the bold, and the beautiful. Right? We, re- we buy their books. We read, you know, what they write. We, we watch their movies. We follow their lives in, in I'm talking about as a culture, right? In um, inane, detailed ways to amuse ourselves vicariously following someone else's celebrity's life and times. We buy their jerseys. And wear them. I do. I mean, that's part of my son. You know why? Because we oh, they're skillful, or we or they or we think of them. They're a winner, and and so their name on our backs says something. And I'm not. I'm not speaking down to anything. Hear me. I'm not. I'm simply saying, as we admire, think about it. It might be the highly intelligent. We we people. Some people admire people who have intellectual prowess. People like you know. We might admire someone from a TED talk. Whatever it, I'm saying is, it, it's the fact that we might buy their business programs. The beautiful, the powerful, the achievers, the gifted. I understand, we understand that. Sort of reminds me of, of how much we are immersed in entertainment. I almost feel like, like Russell Crowe's Maximus and Gladiator, right? <laughs> are you not entertained? I mean, clearly, we live in a, in a culture that is mesmerized with it. I, I, when, I, when I think about this, I often, I often find myself going, wow, you know, Lord, at the core, I think the reason we are drawn to people and the reason we admire people, and it has been and will always be, is because at the core, listen, no matter what anyone else says, take, take Jesus' word for it. At the core, we are worshiping beings we will find something to worship. It's in our DNA, our soul DNA. We will find things. People will. If people exclude God, they'll find something else to worship. Whatever, we, whatever consumes us, whatever we admire, whatever draws us, whatever we pour our energies into, that is what we worship. That's, you know one of the things, though, about worship is this, why Jesus says, actually, it's a big deal what we worship. You know why? Because we become like the things we worship. That's why the Lord says, worship me. We become like that which we worship. It was one of the reasons why God said to his people Israel when he was trying to create a nation out of which would come Messiah, the deliverer of the world. He says, when you go into these foreign places, don't carve out stones out of stone and wood images And then worship those images as if they're your God. Don't do that. Don't ever try to think that I could ever be contained in something you can create. Those Ten Commandments were not designed to be constricted. They were designed to be life-giving. Here's the thing. We look and we go, how could people worship things like, you know, things that they carve out of their own hands and worship it as 
We do the same. It's just different versions. Ours just move and have dimensions to them. This is the same thing. What we worship, we become. Well, God, so one of the things about Jesus, he never was overly impressed with greatness outwardly. He was neither anti-wealth or pro-wealth. He, he didn't say, you're superior or less important to me. There was no pitting of people against people. Jesus often would say, have actually compassion on that wealthy person, he would say, because when it comes to following me, they're going to have a harder road to get there because they have so much that in some ways it's created a veneer and a safety, a false safety zone around their life. In fact, what it's saying is they can get out of things, but really, in the end, it, it's not who they are. And then he said, also, blessed are the poor. How would you, where did that come, why? He wasn't saying that, that there aren't inequities and stuff like that. What he was saying was sometimes, first off, he said, first, the kingdom is available to everyone, rich or poor. So all of a sudden, now we're on equal standing in that regard. But then he also would say this, blessed are you because you have less that can keep your heart closed to me. He would say it, and people would be shocked. He would notice things that other people didn't notice. There were t- he, people noticed the great things. He noticed it too. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Yeah, yeah. Who's, whose image is on this coin? Caesar's. Render to Caesar what is Caesar. <laughs> okay. Unimpressed. But then he would notice someone else that no one else noticed because he saw things differently. What Jesus honored over giftedness was faithfulness. And in this parable, we're reminded that it was not how much, but how faithful we are with what we've been entrusted with. And so the question does prevail, are we being faithful with the things that God entrusts to us? I think that, I think that a lot of times we all forget that we have the same opportunity to hear those same words. Because what does faithfulness look like? And I'm talking about the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful son. At the end of our day, well done, my good and faithful daughter. You did well. And it's not the amount that we leave behind in the bank account or the possessions we temporarily possess. And I was saying this in last service. Statues are built to the great, to the Hall of Fame. And people sit around them at lunchtime, and birds sit on the statues, and life goes on. I have no problem honoring achievement, but Jesus was unimpressed. It will pass like the vanity of every age and ultimately fade away, crumble to the ground, and generations long beyond it will forget it completely. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt, thieves cannot break in and steal it away, the economy tanks, you still have something of wealth because you've invested in things that cannot be taken from you. Be rich towards God. Be rich towards God. Love God. Love others. There is true wealth. That's what he taught us. But why is this man here having such a struggle? Because so much of this parable is about the one servant, isn't it? Is, okay, is he a bad man? Well... Come on. At the end of the story, at least in that one particular version there, you can see it. He is called that by the angry ruler who, in the height of his fury, as Jesus is describing him, 
Jesus says, this man starts calling him, you wicked, you lazy, you unprofitable servant. You stole my money. But really, if we look closely, he's not really a thief. He's not dishonest. He's not mean-spirited. He's not manipulative. He hasn't really hurt anyone. He's, not, he's, he's even so responsible in the sense that he's careful not to lose his master's money. He certainly cannot be accused of being reckless. But what does he lack? He lacks, at least, and we can say he lacks a few, but he, one thing he lacks is courage. He's afraid, to, he's afraid to risk because he's afraid to lose. His fear, and, it can do the, and fear can do this to all of us, has gotten the best of him. And that leads to the second piece here, which I think is important for us to remember. We need to be careful not to let fear, our fear, take hold of us and start to dominate us and overwhelm us. Oh, the things that fear costs us. Why didn't you do something with that? Because I was afraid. I was afraid. And the other, I was afraid I would disappoint you and I didn't want to do that, so I, I didn't even want to try. I didn't even want to try because I thought I would fail. So better than failing, I, I, I just felt like if I could just keep what you gave me, that's good enough. It's all back, every, every cent of it. I didn't lose anything. But you didn't even try. I can live with risk. I can even maybe live with loss if I knew you were trying, but just to bury it, not even put it into play. Come on. That's fear. Fear is powerful. Fear will keep us from a lot of things. Fear costs us a lot in this life. And one of the things I'm constantly trying to remind myself of, and and hopefully all of those who are affected by our church's sound, is that we echo the words of Jesus. Let us challenge our fears and let us seek to be courageous, more courageous than we would have been. Because fear steals away so much. We empower the negative, we meditate on it, we start nurturing the negativity, we start to see shadows everywhere if we're not careful. Fear begins to define us again. I think it was Mark Twain who said, I've been through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. (laughs) And I think that's true. I've been through some terrible things in my life. Some of them even happened. The fact of the matter is, a lot of stuff that happens is because we've just envisioned it. We've nurtured it. We're stuck in it. We're afraid. What are we afraid of right now? What would surrendering that fear to the Lord look like? Are we anxious about anything? I'll tell you a psalm that I found great strength from, a little piece. Psalm 112 says this. Look at this. For the righteous will never be moved and be remembered forever. Check that out. He is not afraid of bad news. Whoa. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Firm. His heart is steady. Steady me, Jesus. Steady me. Steady me right now. I am afraid. He will not be afraid. He will not be afraid until he looks with triumph on his adversaries. What are those? I think for us, the adversaries are the things, they could be spiritual things, certainly, but they're also the problems that we face, the challenges we face, things rooted in our past, things that we're having to deal with in our present, things that have been formed inside of us, habits we've been in, had before that we can't get free of. What are the things that are really opposing us? The things that terrorize our mind, the things that are crippling our resolve, the things that are causing us not to risk, not to love, not to trust God. That's the things we're talking about. What things are we afraid of? And what does God want us to do with that? How does he want us to trust him? How does he want us to be courageous in, the, in this? A lot of times the Lord wants us to face things that part of us wants to run away from. He wants us to play it when we want to bury it. He wants us to p- 
put it into play, and we want to keep it safe because this happened to me before. Or I don't want to, I go back to that one way it's rendered. I, I was afraid I would disappoint you. Wow. Wow. The truth is, all of us have been called to have more courage. And if you look in Jesus' story here, check it out. Um, Did the owner get the money back from the one talent? Yes, he did. So what was really the issue? It was his use of it that was the issue. And it's a reminder that we, if we want the Lord's blessing and approval, we're going to We need to use what he gives us to contribute faithfully and earnestly, right? I look at that and I go, let us remember that. What was he trying to just just hold this one final little prison? What he was saying was, does it really matter? It's just one. I gave it all back to you. He's saying, no, the one matters. It does. Whether it matters. It it means that even the little things matter to God. Little service matters to God. Uh, Big, small, seen, unseen, noticed, applauded, not noticed, unnoticed, not applauded, passed by, five, two, one, whatever. All of it is important. And that is this final thought here is this. We have all been called to serve and to give and to bless. Every one of us with something we've been given. No question. On the, I went back at the very beginning. Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, we talked about how he... On the edge of the cross, as he's listening to them, you know what? We you know what prompted his washing the feet. What prompted his washing their feet was that they were arguing. They had been his disciples for three years. He had poured his life into them. He had invested into them, and now it was crunch time, and everything was about to go down. And he knew it. And he saw it. If he ever needed them to show up. You know how in life we need sometimes people to show up. And when he needed them to show up, in that room, they started arguing. And you know what they were arguing about? They were arguing about who was the greatest. And who was sitting where. See, when Jesus, when they came into a house, sometimes they would come into a house and they were guests because people in those days, they had open shoes and they would walk on roads that were dirt. And so their feet would get dirty. They'd come into a house. Sometimes the owner would give them even the most modest portion of hospitality to provide some type of a basin. And then when in a while there would be a servant there who if that household could afford one to work there would wash the feet of the guests that came in. Well, there was no host and no one to wash the feet. And no one had bothered to say, I'll do it for the other. And so what Jesus did while they were all arguing is he did what none of them were willing to do for one another. He took up the basin while they were having this argument and he started washing their feet. And they said, what are you doing, Lord? And he said, you let me finish this because here's the deal. You cannot do this. You cannot do this. This is not my way. He that is great needs to serve. What was he saying? There is nothing so menial that you can do for one another. If I'm doing it, don't ever tell me this is so menial that it has no meaning. When Jesus came, he modeled serving and giving. That's the core of the gospel. 
The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man came to give for God. He gave his life as a ransom for many. For God so loved the world that he gave. Do you understand what I have done? Jesus said. Do you understand what I have done? If I, your Lord and Master, and that's what you call me, and you know what? You're right. If I wash, am willing to wash your feet, don't ever say to me, you can't wash the feet of your brother. This is too low for you. Giving and serving and blessing. Let's pray. And so, Lord, as we're here, even on a weekend like this, when we have, when we have this time for volunteering and time for serving and time for putting our gifts in the play, even if there's just a need, sometimes the, the real issue is, the real value isn't even the service itself. It's what it does to our character. It's the, it's the connections that you're trying to make with inside of us, Lord. It's the humility. Sometimes it's the humility that in and of itself becomes an offering of blessing beyond the point in which we are expressing community life together and filling needs together. There is something about the heart that is connected to who you are when we decide to serve and give. And I ask that you would allow this to be in our hearts as we close our time this afternoon together. I pray that you would bless us as we think about what it means to use our gifts in any way to honor you with together. This is what I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.